Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Michael Rand and Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune once again. Hi, guys. Andrew, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for waving again. We got plenty to talk about because, of course, what happens is right after we record a podcast, Justin Jefferson gets hurt. Right after we record a podcast, Christian Derrissaw undergoes his second injury or second surgery, excuse me, to the same injury. He had played through at Virginia Tech and had initially repaired in January. But this continues to be an issue for the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. So we'll talk about Darisaw. We'll talk about the offensive line situation. We'll get into a familiar face coming back to TCO Performance Center, at least for a workout with Everson Griffin stopping by. Um, We'll also get into the quarterbacks, Kellen Mons, the preseason, and then what we are going to see potentially on Saturday against the Colts. Um, guys, let's start though with Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin stops by for a visit this week. I can't remember exactly what day it would have been Tuesday, maybe Wednesday It was Wednesday. And I think I was, uh, typing a story on Tuesday night when I was at my kids' swimming lessons. So fun. that's fun. <laughs> catalog these things. What was I doing when I was, what was I also doing when I was writing the story? Yeah. And, and if that news breaks, yeah, that evening where Everson Griffin is going to be coming in for a workout. So we should discuss what that means for the Minnesota Vikings. Will it happen? Um, it hasn't yet. As of Friday morning, it was just a workout. I believe he left the facility after this week. He lives in the area, so it's not too much of a surprise they would bring him in just to see where he's at. But Ben, what was your initial reaction? What do you, from your reporting, what do you think it means that they brought Everson in for at least just this workout? Well, I think, I mean, the fact that they worked him out on Tuesday and we're sitting here Friday morning and he hasn't signed probably gives you a sense of how they feel about it. From my understanding, the workout went well. I don't think that's a question of talent. I think it's a question of, do we need to do something right now? Because he lives in the area. He's a soon to be 34 year old pass rusher who is sitting here on August 20th without a job. So the Vikings almost have a, a little bit of a, Hey, if we need you, we'll call you kind of thing that they could do here. He's been training. And from my understanding, he's in good shape. He's ready to go. You wouldn't have him come in and you have to teach him the scheme. He'd know what he need to do. So I think there's a little bit of the Vikings saying, uh, we don't have to do anything right now. We can try to develop our younger pass rushers. And if we feel in a week or a month or whatever that, boy, we don't have what we need, you could bring him in fairly easily. So, and I, I do think there's a little bit of, in the Griffin camp, a little bit of, well, it'd be nice if somebody else saw this and made an offer to kind of, force the Vikings hand a little bit so that they had to say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to step up and do this now. But I mean, the timing of it, if he were to come in right now with cuts in a week and a half and one preseason game left after tomorrow, which even if he signed today, he wouldn't play in that game. It's not probably the best time for him to come in anyway. I, I think if you're a veteran, you're waiting to say, let's start till after the regular season. So my contract is guaranteed given the number of years he has in the league. I, I think it's after week one that if he were to sign, his contract is fully guaranteed for the year. So um, 
it it sort of behooves him to wait. It it behooves the Vikings to wait. Um, I'm sure he would like to be in now and be ready to go right now. I think he's itching to play, from my understanding. But um, I don't know that there's anything forcing the Vikings' hand to do it sooner than later. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's. I mean, I guess the the first thing I thought of. I won. You're right. It, maybe and maybe the second preseason game will tell them some things they need to know because you can actually get to see. Yeah. You know, DJ, DJ Wanham over there. You'll see um, Stephen Weatherly over there and kind of get a sense of here's what, you know, here's what we think. And it's not a huge sample size, but at least it gives you, you know, Mike Zimmer was even talking this week, right? About we need to have some was positive news or we need to have some get, get some confidence, whatever, some confidence, whatever his quote yeah. was. Like they want, they want to get some knowledge at least and feel good about themselves from this preseason game. And if they don't like what they see out of that other defensive end, spot in that game maybe that changes their thinking doesn't necessarily mean they sign griffin the next day but maybe it gives them kind of some clarity on what they need to do the other thing and i'm, I'm sure you guys were going to get into this but i mean I'll, I'll tread lightly on this because you know everson griffin is a you know 10-year veteran and you know some of the things he's gone through is well documented but he had a series of tweets like eight months ago about kirk cousins that were not very flattering basically the the upshot was mike zimmer didn't want kirk cousins i'm just it's very curious to me that they would at least bring him in for a workout knowing that history is pretty fresh yeah there's a couple tentacles to this in terms of the story with griffin and that's that's one that you can't really avoid because i don't i think you can question whether or not this would happen even though everson was well established with the franchise was here well before kirk cousins um has deeper ties to this franchise than Kirk does. I don't know if that happens to Peyton Manning's Broncos or Colts, or if that happens to Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs or Rogers, whatever, like any, any franchise quarterback that around the league, I just don't know if you can disrespect him that way and then come back even for a workout. And so it's Ben has, is reported and, and talked on this podcast extensively about the relationship now between the Vikings and Kirk, especially getting a little messy with this whole vaccine thing and Mike Zimmer and, and the relationship with Kirk and the training staff and the coaching staff, whatever. It's just things aren't as hunky-dory, certainly, as they were in January of 2020, right after they wrapped up what was an improbable playoff win and then extended him right after that. Like yeah. that, was, that was seemingly kind of the peak of that relationship. And then 2020, it just went downhill for various reasons and then into this offseason. So um, I don't know, Ben, what did you think about that part of it with the quarterback? Cause certainly, you know, a little more about just the relationship between the franchise and their starting quarterback right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the Griffin part of it, I'm, I don't know how much they're thinking about the effect of it on cousins. Um, I, there's a lot of context to those Griffin tweets that I think we would be wise to keep in the back of our minds as we're considering all of that. Um, you can figure out what I mean by that. Um, as Mike said, his history is well-documented and, and we want to be sensitive to the possibility that that was involved in, in some of those things. But um, the fact that they are not thinking about how it affects Kirk Cousins tells you a lot if, if that's where we are. And I, I think it probably is. I, I don't think they are doing a lot right now that is – from the viewpoint of, oh, we need to make sure Kirk is cool with this or that Kirk is happy with what we are saying or what we are doing. If that was the case, we would not have seen what we saw a couple of weeks ago when 
Mike Zimmer uh, is talking about Cousins not believing in protocols, and then Cousins comes up the the next day or a couple of days later, I think it was, and says, "I believe in the protocols." And then, but this thing with the room we were meeting in was not big enough. There was a point behind those comments. Um, that make no mistake about that. There was a point behind him saying that at the beginning of his press conference. So all of that stuff is in the backdrop here. And that relationship, I think I've, I've categorized it here before as a, a bit of a marriage of convenience. I think when it started, it was that. And I think probably always has been that between Kirk cousins and the Vikings in some way or another. Um, I, I think that's probably still where we are. And I, it's not, I mean, it's not the only example in the NFC North of a tenuous relationship between a quarterback and an organization. Uh, but it's not in a spot where everybody is going out to, you know, shoot trap together or, you know, whatever you would do on the Zimmer ranch. I, I probably skeet down there more than trap, but not, not everybody's getting together to, to, cook uh steaks and and hang out on the ranch drink I think, red wine together <laughs> red wine cook uh what, what what did brian murphy take crap for medium well steaks yeah which and, which uh, he should take crap for that <laughs> um, I, I think we love you but yeah it medium medium is about as far as i'll go i think ben we've categorized the mike zimmer ranch if players were to ever visit other than players like harrison smith or some of these longer eric hendricks or one of the you know one of the defenders terrence newman um, is that he'd be putting them to work. It'd be building a farmhouse. Yeah. It'd be kind of just plowing cutting, the land. Cutting and rolling hay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It would always it would be, and they'd be drilling it like two a day's practices. All right, this is a walkthrough building session. This I get up at 5 a.m. to look for this dang muskrats. Uh, there, there's another part of this, though, too, right? Because the, the, the football part. Great reality. If, if, if the Vikings ever get hard knocks. They need to do an episode at the ranch. Like yeah, that would be a fantastic reality show episode. I think they missed it when they did Cincinnati when Zimmer was there because the ranch was just right down the road. Yeah, that's true. They should have done it there. Um, ranch probably wasn't done yet, though. He was living in a trailer for a while. He had like this 28 foot trailer on the property where he's like breaking down film and getting the ranch done. I mean, yeah. Who knew years later that's where they'd be laughing about the Eagles passing on Justin Jefferson. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, things that happen. I do think the, the football side of this move, though, and, and it is just a workout as of Friday. They haven't signed him yet. But this at least shows the interest they have in saying, hey, let's take a look at our options a little bit in terms of a pass rusher opposite Daniil Hunter. Because from all accounts, whether you're talking to Daniil, teammates, coaches, whatever, They've all said Daniil's back. He's healthy. He's fully participating. This is not a concern. And um, Mike Zimmer's gone as far as to say he'll get some work in the preseason. So presumably that will be Saturday against the Colts at U.S. Bank Stadium. But when Daniil's been healthy, when he's been dominant, he's generally always had Everson Griffin opposite him, save for five games in that 2018 season. And when Everson came back, he wasn't fully himself physically right then and there. But he's had that kind of dominant edge rusher opposite him. It has helped him to have that other side of things. And this defense is kind of focused on getting those edge, get, closing those edges off and really kind of collapsing a pocket from the outside in. And I do wonder with this Everson move, how much it speaks to how they feel about DJ Wanham, how they feel about Steven Weatherly. They don't really feel like these guys are maybe going to be that develop into that. 
the way they were. And, and frankly, Weatherly was the guy, Ben, you remember who replaced um, Everson in 2018 for five yeah. games yep. did, did pretty well, but we know Steven didn't have the best season in Carolina last year. We don't know what kind of player he is right now. And this move to me says the Vikings are thinking, mm, I'm not liking it right now with what we're having on that other side of the, of the line. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think, you know, when, when Andre Patterson has talked about that still being a competition between Weatherly and Wanham, I mean, Wanham, I think in some ways they have a vision for how they want to use him more. He's been dropping into coverage and uh, just doing a number of different things in some of those five defensive linemen fronts that they've used. I, I would think that this is going to be an important week for both of those guys, but possibly Stephen Weatherly more so than DJ Wanham, just because I think it's, he's, he does, he's only got like $500,000 guaranteed in that contract he signed. It's one where, when they're still not, I mean, they'll have enough space, but when you look forward to the future, every little bit that they can roll over is going to help them. So I, I think we are getting into a stretch here that's important for both of those guys, but probably especially for Stephen Weatherly to show something and make them say, hey, we're going to be okay. It's not going to be something where Daniil Hunter is getting double teamed or having a tight end chip him all the time and we don't have anybody to take advantage of it on the other side. Yeah, I think that's true. It feels like um, at the very least, it's it's kind of within the kind of theme of this whole offseason, which is load up on defense, load up on guys you're familiar with, kind of cover all your bases, and uh, don't do that with the offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for the trademark transition. And we'll get um, to that probably. It's a, there was a couple of questions about the O line. Not written by me, by the way. <laughs> Not written by Mike's uh, bot bots and uh, no, what are the bot the army? Word? Yeah, the bot army, the burner accounts. That was the word I was looking for. Um, all right. Well, we should transition a little bit to some O line talk because after we recorded the last podcast, we discussed how Derisaw Christian Derisaw, the top draft pick at left tackle, was not at practice, and of course that generally means something's going on. And what was going on? was he was visiting the surgeon, Dr. William Myers, who had worked on him in January, went back to Philadelphia, was getting looked at by him, and then that consultation ended up with a surgery. And so the initial reports were he's going to be ready by week one. It'll be fine. Mike Zimmer was plenty skeptical about that. Ben, I think you were at that uh, little golf cart session with Mike Zimmer where he was saying, the doctors keep telling me this, but I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I did get a little bit more information on that. It sounds like he was given a two to three week um, timeline to return from it, but that just means he could be eligible to practice in that span. And I don't think the Vikings are going to have him practice one week and then start him right away. So the feeling I've gotten is that they're already expecting Rashad Hill to start the season against the Bengals. Um, and then it's just a matter of seeing how Derisaw kind of comes along, how he gets his conditioning back. We have seen him walking laps around the practice field just trying to get some work in. Cause when you've got this kind of core muscle injury that he's been dealing with for now, basically a year, um, it can limit your ability to move around. Obviously when that pain keeps nagging you and you don't want to stretch that. And especially for a 320 some pound guy. So um, Ben it's Rashad Hill show. It would seem for the start of the regular season. And then of course that for the, for the O-line picture that includes Oli Udo at right guard. Um, I guess you can talk about certainly the Derisaw situation, but also it's going to be interesting 
to see this O-line probably together for the first time on Saturday against Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, the, the number of questions with that group continues to be a fairly high number. I mean, it's once again a big question going into the season and probably would be even if you had Christian Derisaw because he's a rookie and you're trying to figure that out. But a guy that you draft in the first round to be the left tackle for the foreseeable future is somebody that you have, I think, a fairly high level of confidence in being able to step in right away and played a tough schedule in the ACC, played a number of, of pretty solid pass rushers. So I think they felt good about the chances of him coming in right away. I I can't see a scenario at this point where that's going to happen. Like you say, Andrew, it's it's one thing to be healthy. It's another thing to have had the practice time and the ability to work with Ezra Cleveland, who is also moving from the right to the left side to work on passing off blitzes and who's picking up what and how are we dealing with stunts and all of that kind of stuff that takes a little bit of work on field to develop chemistry or just an understanding of of how everybody's going to work. So I don't think you're going to see him week one. And that then means that you have Rashad Hill in two games on the road against beatable opponents, but um, opponents that will, I think one, test the Vikings a little bit with their pass rush after the Bengals upgraded that and two, force them to score some points because certainly in Arizona, you're going to get into a game where you're going to get tested defensively and you may have to go out and, and answer with some scores. So, um, and you're going to see Chandler Jones and JJ Watt there. You can see Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati. They're, they're going to see some pressure and uh, this group once again is uh a big question going into the season. Going to move that pocket a whole bunch. Got to roll to the right, take advantage of Brian O'Neill. That's, I mean, it, it, they're going to have yeah. to get creative. I think, I mean, it just, until they get that trust on that, on that left side. And I'll be more concerned if, you know, we can, I think we can make an assumption that Darisaw should at least get back on the practice field, you know, in the next two weeks here, you would, you would imagine two to three weeks and then, you know, so that puts him on a timeline to at least be practicing before the regular season starts. I'll be more concerned if we don't see him in the lineup by like week four, something like that. Or if, if all of a sudden it's like, it's not just the injury, it's yeah, he's not ready because a, he lost all this conditioning time or B he's just not ready. Cause he's, he's the, you know, he's adjusting to the game. That will be a bigger concern to me. Cause like Rashad Hill can play for three games. He's, he's a good enough left tackle. That he can play for a few games and you're not going to be like, Oh man, like it's not going to be, 2018 all over again i don't think but it's it's a challenge to their depth and if he goes down then you got real problems yeah and there's an option now with these um, new injury uh, injury reserve rules in the covid year they kind of rolled those over into 2021 where if he were to start the season on ir they can return him after three weeks but in terms of practicing i don't know how much that's going to limit his ability to practice if he were to be on ir so if he can practice before the regular season even starts i would imagine they kind of keep him on the active roster and bring him along so long as that injury is progressing the way that they expected it to after that August 12th um, surgery. So Rashad Hill's the guy. I mean, Kirk Cousins said yesterday he's a pro. He's been in there a lot for us. You just have to trust him and kind of move forward. And I think Rashad's always been a decent pass blocker, but we've discussed before it's the run blocking and with how often this team wants to play the run, um, that could be an issue too when you have him in Cleveland on the left side. And then Bradbury, we, we have not talked enough at all about him because this is his last year, basically, to prove to them, this is why you should pick up my fifth-year option. 
and consider a potential contract extension should things go that way. So uh, a lot of questions on that offensive line, as always, and we can get to more of them in the Twitter questions afterward. It was the, uh, by the way, the one Rashad Hill memory I have, unfortunately, is still 2017. It was his side in the NFC title game that basically turned that whole game. I don't know if Keenum dropped back too far or what happened, but Rashad Hill was beaten on that play. Keenum gets picked. I believe that was a pick six. And uh, Patrick Robinson. Seven nothing. Vikings lead. Vikings ball around midfield. Game totally changed. Not saying that's Rashad Hill's fault that the that the whole game was Rashad Hill's fault but like that's one memory I have of him that's how long he's been here and that's not a great memory I have of him yeah he's always stepped in and done pretty well for them in some spot starts but yeah you do have that memory combined with um some other ones but yeah he's not the worst swing tackle to have that's certainly they're fortunate to at least have that depth somewhat where they can put a guy in there who's got the experience but after that it's Blake Brandle I believe is going to be their swing tackle option for week one and their guard situation is getting thinner as well. Uh, they just lost Drew Samia to an injury, though I don't know how much they were expecting him to be, maybe even make this team. Um, they might have to keep Dakota Dozier. As much as they've tried to move on from him, they basically named Ole Udo the starter before Ole took a single preseason rep, and they've made Dakota this kind of backup, but he might have to be on the roster just to be that experienced backup for them because they haven't been able to develop many of them on that offensive line. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Guys, we should talk about, to the quarterback situation. We saw Kellen Mond get his debut in the preseason on Saturday. We're not going to talk much about that Saturday preseason opener because why? There's just not a whole lot of reason to talk about it. We did get to see, though, Kellen Mond jump in. We saw Mike Zimmer be overly critical of the rookie probably after that game, and he actually walked it back a little this week by praising him and what he's been able to do in practices. But Ben, you were the only one out of us three who was there at that game. What was your impressions of Kellen Mond and certainly how the team has treated him uh, through this week after that game? I thought he was better than Jake Browning was. I mean, <laughs> right. It's damning with faint praise probably, but I, he, I mean, you saw some of the things that Mike Zimmer talks about, I think in terms of needing to speed everything up there, the play in the end zone, he, that he hit Wap failure and, and he didn't come down with the ball. He worked back to him late. And I asked Mond about that after the game, he said he was working the other side and then came back to, to Wap uh, kind of later on in the progression. But it was one of those that it, it felt like if you can get through all of that, maybe a fraction of a second faster, you maybe make that throw a little bit more in rhythm. And it's not something where somebody's having to adjust their body to come down with the ball and try to keep their feet in bounds and hang on to it and all of that, but there were, there were a few moments like that. I think in that game where the playing with a little more pace, playing with a little bit more ability to make decisions quickly and get rid of the ball would help. He, his best moment, he had a scramble around the goal line where he, he felt the pocket collapsing, you know, looked right for a second and then darted back up the middle for like an eight yard gain to pick up a first down. That is what he brings to the table that cousins doesn't have. And that's, Part of the um, the appeal of him, I think, is that the mobility and, and the chance to, to create some things that Cousins talks about wanting to do a lot, but probably is never going to be terribly natural at it. Um, the accuracy needs work. We saw some of that this week in practice. Um, I think mechanics, you know, I've heard people talk about his footwork. I, 
it is what it is. People develop ways of throwing the ball and, and working that I think are going to be fairly stable. I don't know that that's going to change a lot. And he's found something that has gotten him this far in his career. So I don't know that a ton of that will change. I, I think finding a way to be more accurate, though, is important and just being able to work a little faster. So it'll be interesting to see tomorrow how much playing time he gets beyond Cousins and you know, kind of where you go from here because they still – Cousins has been extremely durable, but anytime you're at this long of a run of that in the NFL at that position, it can be a sign that you're either the guy that can stay out there forever, you know, some people are able to do, or <laughs> you're due for something to happen. So – um, having a backup quarterback for one reason or the other is something they need to get figured out. And Mike, I thought they yanked Jake Browning pretty quickly and it spoke to how poorly he played in that game against the Broncos. That's safety. As much as people want to put it on Dakota Dozier, my read on it was that Jake Browning evacuated that pocket way too soon. Yeah. And Dakota gets called because the defender reacts and pulls away from him when Dakota's not expecting that. And that, that hold is going to get called every time. And I don't think there's many quarterback coaches who are telling their quarterbacks, yes, please run backward toward the end zone where we're going to give up points for you to do that. So, and then the pick six, and then he gets pulled. So I think Kellen Mond got a lot of reps that they probably weren't planning for him to get that many. And it is curious to me that how open is that backup job, the competition for it, because Jake Browning just didn't look great. And what was his first game in about two years? Because he had might have been a Zimmer hook is what you're saying? I think it was. I think it was that pick six because he gave up nine points. You're putting nine points on the quarterback right there between the safety and the touchdown. And that seemed to me like they're saying, look, kid, you need a lot of work because it had been since the 2019 preseason that he had played in the game. Yeah, I think I mean, Browning certainly had his kind of moment in the sun when everybody was on the covid list and he threw a million passes in that night scrimmage and, you know, Good for him, and that probably at least helps him helped him be QB three over Nate Stanley. You know, you at least showed something you can do. But I don't think there's much question at this point. I do believe we got a Twitter question on this too. I don't think there's much question at this point that Kellen Mond is the backup quarterback. Is there? Ben, what do you think? That he's the second guy. Yeah, I, I think, think there's Kellen some question about that. Yeah, I think, Kel- I, think I think you're going to go into the season and Kellen Mond's going to be the backup quarterback. I think that's what they want. But I think you have to be confident that he can operate the offense. I I think it's still open enough at this point that the, the thing that making Mond the number two would do for you is it would allow you to only keep two if you decided you wanted to go that way. You could probably try to stash Browning on the practice squad. The, the vaccination question, though, becomes another issue in the sense that Browning is the only one that's vaccinated. So... If I'm making a 53 projection right now, and I think we're both doing this here in the next couple of weeks, I am having them keep three. If you wanted to keep two, you'd probably say, okay, it's mine because we can't obviously expose him to waivers. But I think they both stay, which then means that backup question is an open one for as long as they need it to be open. I, I still think that there's certainly not – something that either of them has done to say like, yes, they have locked this thing down. And also we know this coaching staff and frankly, any, I don't want to put it just on this coaching staff because a lot of NFL coaching staffs are like this. There's not a rush to put rookies into these situations. And, and 
I think you see them, whether it's Justin Jefferson, just because they don't see him in a preseason last year, they have to bench him for two weeks. And it's the same with Eric Kendricks, Stefan Diggs. We can go, we always go through that list. Yeah, and Trey, man, Trey, you're right. Trey Waynes had a red shirt year. Brian O'Neill didn't play until, you know, basically injuries forced him into that position. I always forget about the Diggs one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, I but think Charles we, Johnson. we have enough examples of, they're going to go with the guy who in the classroom has been around longer shows and proves to you I'm reliable as opposed to the high risk, low, you know, or excuse me, low, yeah. High risk, high reward situation of let's put the rookie in there. Maybe he forgets a play or two, but he might give us that 80 yard touchdown that the other guy can't give us. We, we see this constantly. And so I think with Jake Browning, not only is the trust factor there from Mike Zimmer, who Mike Zimmer rarely says anything bad about Browning. He has to gain, has to have a game like he did against the Broncos for Mike Zimmer to be like, Oh boy. Yeah. This kid's got a lot, a lot of work. He has been complimentary. I thought he was more critical of Mond. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. So I think Browning is going to make this roster just because of how Mike Zimmer feels about him because he's vaccinated, which gives that level of availability there. Yep. And also because of the fact Kellamon's a rookie who missed 10 days of training camp and was overcoming an illness that, uh, according to what Clinton Kubiak was saying, was symptomatic in him coming back there after 10 days. I so, said it was symptomatic too. Oh, I, I missed that. So there you go. Yeah. So I, I think there had been enough missed time, enough work needed that, Mike, I don't think it's a slam dunk Kellamon's your QB2. I think right now it's still Jake Browning, even, even after Saturday's game. So other than that, it's been great. to focus on the bad parts we can focus on the good parts though we'll get to some twitter questions here because we did have plenty of them um and i do think we can talk about saturday's preseason game the starters are expected to play saturday night against indianapolis the colts head coach frank reich also came out and said that he expects to play most of their starters so at least the beginning of the game we're going to get a feel for what these two teams are capable of even though the Colts are going to be starting a backup quarterback because Carson Wentz is already out and uh, they're all pro guard. Quentin Nelson also won't be playing because he's dealing with an injury as well. And it's going to be out for some time. Uh, but Ben, let me start with my own question before we get to the mailbags. I don't see this question there. How much are the starters going to play? What, what are we expecting? Do you think out of, let's say the defense when you've got Daniel Hunter, Pierce, Tomlinson, all these guys debuting together. I would think so. How, Mike Zimmer said yesterday, uh, he told his assistant coaches, and I quote, just tell them to play until I tell them to get out. So, uh, well, the, the reverse Randy Moss, they'll play when I want them to play. Yes, they'll play until I don't want them to play anymore. Yeah. Um, so whatever that magic number of plays is, we will see. I would think they would get at least a quarter. I mean, you know, maybe you treat it like the second preseason game that they would typically do where they get enough work to feel good about it. And then you get them out and try to keep them healthy. He has shifted more to that side of things where the idea of not needing to play your starters, or maybe it was just that the injuries were so bad last year that he doesn't want to risk that again, but he has shifted more in that direction of not putting guys in the field as much. I I think we've seen it in practice. I think we've seen it uh, certainly last week where he's not putting as many snaps on those guys as he ordinarily would. So it's probably not a full half, but I could see, you know, a couple of drives. If, if you come out and, and have a couple of good ones, if you feel like things click, then get them out and probably move on to, well, at that point they're on to Cincinnati. 
<laughs> uh, Mike, what do you want to see out of Kirk Cousins and company? Yeah, I think I, mean, I think that's important. I think this is, you know, preseason games are what they are, and there's one fewer now than there used to be. So this is kind of like our look, right? Like the third preseason game is going to be kind of like the old fourth preseason game, right? It's going to be pretty much all backups, fringe roster guys that you 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 know the fifth, the, you know the the bottom half of the roster who's going to make the team. So I mean, you're not going to like full fledged hit the panic button, but like say the offense goes out and doesn't do well, say the defense goes out and like say after all the starters are done, it's like seven nothing Colts or you know it's just like the offense hasn't really done much maybe they got a couple first downs but no sustained drive so the defense gives up a touchdown like you're not gonna feel really good about this are you like after everything that's happened in camp in the preseason and just like there's gonna be a, I think it NFL is you know I think Patrick Royce made this point earlier this week when I was talking to him it's like NFL kind of thrives on like the vibe of a team, maybe more than other leagues do. And if you go into the season and you just have kind of had a negative end to this camp, I just, I wouldn't feel good about it. I wouldn't mean that they couldn't just flip a switch and it would be different in week one, but I kind of want to see something out of this, you know, out of whatever the starters are doing. I would, I would feel a lot better about this team. If I see something good happen Saturday and it's like I said, not going to panic and say the season's over if they don't. But I think it's kind of important to establish a better kind of trajectory going into the season. Yeah. And to that end, Mike, I, that's why it wouldn't surprise me if the defense got a three and out and we're done. Or if the offense had a touchdown drive or just a successful drive that ended in points and they were done. I, or pieces, critical pieces were like, let's say Dalvin Cook's out, Daniel Hunter's out after one series because Ben, I just don't know after last year that's seared in Mike Zimmer's brain of, and every time you go to the podium, it felt like he was listing off all the games they lost, all the guys that were out. I just don't know. He wants to even chance it. And if you see Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson, Daniel play well, stop a couple runs and complete on third down, I wouldn't be surprised if they all got yanked right after yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's very possible. I, I do think there are a lot of things about last year that, um, Mike Zimmer is making decisions with the idea that I don't ever want to go through that again. Except and, the offensive line. <laughs> and, and along those oh, lines, yeah. along those lines too, if they struggle, I could also see him saying you stay out there until you get, you get that third down stop or something like that. Um, all right, let's go to questions here. Neil, our buddy, Neil from London. I have to thank him for pulling back, pulling us back into the middle and more on some positive side of things. He asks what areas of the team, are likely to be league-wide top five units this season. And he offers that it sounds like the defensive line and the wide receiver tandem are good possibilities. Um, Mike, let's start with you. What do you think? Top five units potentially for the Minnesota Vikings in terms of position groups? Yeah, I think there's a few. Um, that's, I mean, that kind of speaks to the talent of this team still. Like, I think we had a good question, too, that I want to get to about kind of you know, the, the ceiling and the floor for this team. And I still think the ceiling is relatively high if things come together. I think wide receivers, certainly, if, if Thielen and Jefferson are healthy, that's, that has the potential to be a top five group. I don't think there's any question about that with how good Jefferson was last year. With everything we know about Thielen, you know, maybe starting to get to the, you know, the, the peak of his career, maybe coming down the other side, but still a really good receiver, doing everything we know he does. Um if they're healthy and, and everything's good, I think the linebackers are, you know, when you've got Barr and Kendricks still right there. I mean, I think Eric Kendricks is like one of the three best linebackers in the whole league. 
So when you start there, just with what he does in the run, what he does in the pass game, like you've got a chance to be really good there. And honestly, uh, the other one I would say is, you know, I guess, I guess two others, I would say, you know, if you put running back and tight end kind of in the same mix, you know, the Dalvin cook, um, Irv Smith, you know, kind of grouping theirs is pretty good. Maybe not top five, but top 10 and defensive line could be in that mix too. So I think they've got a lot of position groups that are really good. It's like, are their strengths better than their weaknesses are bad is going to tell the story of this season. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? Uh, I would add, yeah. Running backs would be the one I would have added to Neil's list. Um, and I'll separate out the tight ends for the time being, but yeah, I mean, Dalvin cook, Alexander Madison's as good of a one, two punch as you're going to find in the league. CJ ham still obviously a very productive fullback. Um, they, and they use those guys more. You probably wouldn't mind seeing somebody come in to that number three job and add something to it, whether it's Amir Abdullah or Kanae Nwangu. I Now we haven't seen him because he's been hurt since that first preseason game with a knee injury. So I think that's getting a little concerning. Um, but, you know, Abdullah had the, the touchdown last year too. So he provides a little bit of, of a contribution as a receiver and, and a pass protector at times. So I, I would put that one in there. Um, the wide receivers. Yes. Largely because those top two guys, the reason, only reason I hesitate on that is depth. I don't know who wide receiver three is. I'm not convinced that DD Westbrook is going to, be this revelation when he gets healthy. I think that it's just a lot to ask. And on the D line, yeah, there's a lot of talent at the top of it. it. It's the story of this entire roster. There's top heavy groups. And then what's behind it? Who is the defensive end opposite to Neil Hunter? Who is the third receiver? Who is the corner that comes in if Patrick Peterson and or Bashad Breeland get hurt? Um, Who's the safety that comes in if one of those top guys goes down? I, I mean, there, there are a lot of those areas that are lurking right underneath this sort of star-studded, top-heavy group that I just think you have to wonder about because, you know, we, we talked about 2017 on this show a lot, and they had great injury luck. And, yes, Sam Bradford got hurt. Yes, Dalvin Cook got hurt. But the thing that saved them is that they had – planned ahead in those spots. They had depth to have Case Keenum, to have Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon. Those things didn't kill them because they had capable backups that had some equity in the NFL in those spots. They don't have that right now. So I look at the roster and, and yes, there are some top five groups, um, but the depth is the thing that I think is lurking beneath the surface of all of it. So ben, neg- We're so negative. We're always so negative. No. Ben, it's, it's very that. true, Ben. It's very did true. Uh, did their thinking on that just evolve naturally, or did the Cousins contract force them into thinking differently about the have and have nots of the roster? Yeah, I, I think it's the second one. I mean, I, I think it's Cousins, and it's we don't want to give up on paying everybody else. We don't want to give up on paying two linebackers. We don't want to give up on paying a running back. We don't want to give up on um, paying defensive tackles. I mean, these are places where not everybody invests their money in this day and age. And the Vikings have said, you know what? I don't care that we're paying a quarterback this much money. We're going to figure it out and we're going to keep all these guys. So when you do that, the, the middle class of the roster, as we've talked about, 
gets hollowed out. But to pivot this all back around, it does give you, and then I'll put my positive hat on here. Uh, it does give you spots where if everybody's healthy, you have a lot of talent. And I do think, you know, studs win in this league. And you can say things about, um, you know, the Buccaneers having depth at the third, fourth wide receivers last year that, that made a big difference. Certainly there's examples of that. But um, if you have a roster full of difference makers in whatever form that takes, and for the Vikings, it has to be top end guys. If those guys are healthy, they do have the ability to do some things because of those top end groups. Yeah, and you guys, you guys mentioned this already, but I do. I would just say I think defensive tackle is probably their deepest position group, just because yeah. if you put three guys who are starters together in two spots um, with Pierce Tomlinson and Richardson, I think they're going to be able to use them in so many different ways, and I think that'll probably come out as one of the strengths of this team. And then having, as Mike said, one of the best linebackers in football directly behind those guys, it creates one of the better cores of a defense. We just have question marks basically all around them outside of Daniel Hunter. And one of those question marks we should get to before we break here is uh, Anthony Barr. We did get a question about is Anthony Barr's situation trending to be like a Daniel Hunter situation last year. And I wouldn't say that at all because nobody – whether coach or player with Barr or Mike Zimmer has acknowledged that it's even an injury that's keeping him out. Now, Anthony Barr has not practiced with the team, uh, at least through this past week, and it had been taking days off before that as well. It's been categorized as him working through things. Uh, I caught up with Anthony Barr after practice this week, and he would only say, I've got some things I've got to work through. And then I asked him, is it mental, physical, what's going on? And he just repeated himself. So it's very vague from, from everybody about his situation and why he's not practicing. Um, and so Ben, I guess, what can we say about that in terms of it being a tenuous spot at linebacker where you saw Cameron Smith retire, you see the depth, not doing that well and getting called out by coaches. Um, and you've got Anthony Barr who the team football wise really needs. Yeah. And, and we've heard them talk a lot about how much they need Anthony Barr. And we've heard a lot of the reasons that go beyond just the stat sheet. So I think, if you don't have him, it's a concern for a lot of the reasons that we saw last year. And it exposes a lot of things that they want to be able to do in the ideal construction of their defense. I, it, it's hard to know on this one because my sense is that there's more going on here than you're kind of – the reason I say I don't know that it's quite like Hunter is Hunter was an injury. We knew that. Um, that's where the word tweak became infamous with in Vikings lexicon. Um, I don't know that we know that with this. And I asked about it last week and I had heard that when they're making a list of guys that weren't going to play in that game, you know, they denote injuries on there. And I, from what I understand, Bart was not listed with an injury before that game. So, um, we're going to get a better sense of it here in the next couple of weeks. I think um, if, if they have to put him on a list, what list did they put him on? If he's not on the initial 53 men roster and you got to make a move with him, that'll probably tell something, but yeah, I, I think there's a little more going on here. It, it's, it's the reason I sound like I'm hesitating is I think we need to be careful with how we talk about it just because there's a lot of unknowns and um, I, my sense is there's probably a lot we aren't going to know for a little bit. Yeah, we have no idea if it's yeah anything from personal, mental health, 
illness. I mean, it could really be anything. We have no idea. Or just an injury that is being talked about kind of vaguely for some reason. We have we have zero idea right now at this point. But it, Mike, it means that one of their star players is just not practicing right now. And I, I, I agree with Ben to hesitate to compare it to Daniil Hunter at all. Yeah, I would think that's true. Um, I, yeah, and he's, I mean, that'd be a storyline to monitor, obviously, because he's, when he's in there, he's pretty important to their defense. You know, we've kind of talked about why we've talked about, you know, he almost left for the Jets a couple of years ago, but, you know, Mike Zimmer has been pretty, you know, an advocate for keeping him and what he means to the defense, just to you know, his ability to go side to side, what he does in the pass rush, things like that. There's, there's value there for sure. Um, let me throw one at you from uh, Danny on DM wanting to know about Kubiak and any, are we seeing any evidence of wrinkles of what he might be adding to the offense yet in, in camp, or is that probably going to evolve as we see the, the games going on? Um, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see that a little bit, just because Mike, Mike Zimmer's and Clint Kubiak's first game together as head coach and coordinator was Saturday. And Clint talked about um, obviously trying to grow from that experience, but we did see not too much, not that they show all their stuff in the preseason anyway, but we didn't see too much deviating from what we typically see wide zone runs. And then when you get behind in games and your quarterback shaky relying heavily on a running back. And in this case, in Saturday's game, it was AJ Rose uh, who's at the bottom of their depth chart at running back. So I don't know. I, I'm very curious to see. We see a lot of horizontal stuff with this offense and practices, jet jet sweeps, screens, um, fakes, all that kind of stuff. I think that's the kind of mark that Clint might be able to make. Um, the Shanahan stuff? Yeah, yeah, more so than – I don't think we're going to see any kind of, of RPO spread shotgun. Just I don't, I don't no. imagine we're going to see a whole lot of that because Mike Zimmer has a certain way he wants to play football, and a lot of that is around running the football. Yeah, and you can add some of the window dressing stuff that the 49ers certainly have used to great effect. I think if you have guys that can press the edge and they've drafted a couple, I think that they feel can do that, that had certainly had some speed. Um, you got to find roles for those guys. But yeah, I could see that being the thing that we see a little bit more of is a little bit more of the the Shanahan feel, uh, the Andy Reid feel, maybe a little bit, probably not quite that exotic, but this idea of let's, stress things laterally and let's get defenses looking that way and give them something else to think about other than Dalton cook. As long as the wide receiver screens are thrown one yard forward instead of one yard backwards, I'll be okay. Nothing drives me crazier <laughs> than plays where there's this high risk, like pass slightly thrown backwards. I that's the drive the play that drives me the so craziest. Be a fumble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The Stefan Diggs uh, 2016 uh, most popular route that he ran. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That one. All right. All right. Let's, uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. We'll be talking to you guys next week ahead of roster cuts. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.